like in some, to some extent, there can't be an answer, a reason mm-hmm. for suffering and evil, because then it would be necessary for the, for the ordered creation, right? It would yeah. be it would be like the sh- the necessary shadow side of good, like mm-hmm. evil or suffering is itself anti-creation. It's it's not it's anti-reason. It it there's not a reason for it because if there was a reason for it, it would fit in the order of the universe, mm-hmm. but it's actually just all that is opposed to goodness and truth and light and God. Right. And so there can't be like a neat explanation because then we would somehow need it in the universe. But I think the ultimate answer is that this is it's anti-creation. It's anti-reason and it will be judged by Jesus. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. through sunshine and rain. Stressing over everything. Losing your brain. Fit back up yourself before you go insane. Levitate on the times and you got the rain. Times are tough, I'm being honest. We can see the light, just remain modest. Uh, can't forget, just a day reminder. Life's a little short, and take off the blinds. Be a little wiser. Build my own future, I'm the pathfinder. CMG is a team with a franchise. Uh, impacted by the worst decisions. Breaking bad habits on the repetition. What you getting to now? Gave too many chances to school now. In the bad condition, but it's not the ending. Get yourself together, got no time for reminiscing. I just want this all to live life. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 142. And it's my conversation with Tish Harrison Warren, who wrote a book called Prayer in the Night uh, for those who work or watch or weep, uh, the follow-up to her other book, uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And uh, I have been wanting to talk to Tish for a long time. I read uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary when I was in seminary uh, for one of my classes, and I remember reading the book going, oh, this... This has some revolutionary type stuff in it. And uh, when I started the podcast, she was one of the people I put on my list that I wanted to talk to. And uh, I'd reached out to her a couple of times on social media, but uh, social media, sometimes it's hit or miss because there's so much obviously going on in the world. Uh, but I got on a list with her publisher where they send uh, they send me like a list of new books that are coming out. And I saw her new book on the list and I was like, oh, I've got to talk to her. So I emailed them and uh, we got connected and really good conversation. Uh, we cover a lot of ground here, um, a lot of difficult ground. Uh, we talk a lot about the problem of evil. Uh, why do bad things happen? Um, some heart-wrenching stuff, right? I mean, we're all going through stuff, and sometimes the, the question we ask is why. And we've, we've, we've tackled that question a lot on the podcast. We've talked to people like Thomas Ord, right, in his book, uh, God Can't. We've talked to Mark Karras a little bit about that kind of stuff. Um, James Danaher, who was my philosophy professor in college, we talked to him. Uh, today we talked to Tish. Lots of different answers, lots of different ideas. And listen, this is not an easy one. To, to, to tackle, right? There's not like a black and white answer for this. Uh, why? Right? I talk in the episode about um, my wife and I when we had a miscarriage. Why? Uh, Tish talks about in the episode and in the book about her own experience with miscarriage and loss in their family and, and why, right? 
Why do things happen? Why do children get raped? Like, why does this stuff happen? Where is God in the midst of all of this, right? And those are questions we, we ask. And so like the subtitle of her book says, Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of weeping. And uh, I think this episode is hopefully going to be some, some bomb for your soul. So I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Uh, it's funny because Tish was uh, in the process of moving when we recorded the episode. She was going to be moving like two days after uh, we were done recording. So she like literally her house was like full of boxes. <laughs> she was like trying to navigate through the house to find a quiet place. Uh, but I think with some some editing, I tried to use some some editing techniques. I'm no my no near by no means a professional, but <laughs> I did my best. I think. I think it came together really well. So I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. Uh, a few things, Patreon and buy me a coffee, patreon.com, buymeacoffee.com uh, are places where you can go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, consider going there to make a contribution. Uh, you can also contribute by purchasing a t-shirt or a hoodie at the Heretic Shop. I'll put the link to all those places in the show notes. You can also go to iTunes, go to iTunes and leave a a rating and a review that helps the show as well. The more ratings there are, the more reviews, uh, the more the show is going to get recognized with various algorithms. If someone searches for Christianity, spirituality, or anything like that. Uh, special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. Uh, he is a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing great things in the world. We work together at Apple. Really enjoy him and his work, uh, his encouragement. He's an inspiration to me. Young Citizen, Y-U-N-G. So head over to iTunes, head over to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, download his stuff, pass it around, and show him some love. So all of that to say, my friends, uh, this is episode number 142, and it's my conversation with Tish Harrison Warren. Let's roll the tape. Yeah. Technology taking over the mind state. Conversations thinned out, just called a bad case. Then they base it off a character, a bad trait. Ain't no way to take it back, cause now it's too late. And so they say, it's our own fault. Making own decisions, precisions took a void, not the right visions. Feeling so annoyed, no kids outside playing, they inside with the toys. Back in the day, I used to play into the street like song. Played up in the woods, I found my way back home. Both sets of friends moved, now I'm all alone. My brother moved from Massachusetts all along. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're sitting down with my friend Tish Harrison Warren, who wrote a great book, uh, Prayer in the Night, for those who work or watch or weep. And so Tish, welcome to the podcast. I'm a big fan of your work and I'm excited to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So before we jump into your book, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your yourself, especially for our listeners who maybe aren't too familiar with you. Uh, who are you and what do you do? Some of the, the highlights of your journey. Yeah, um, I am uh, several things. I'm an Anglican <laughs> priest. I'm a priest in the, um, so I'm ordained in the Anglican Church of North, um, in North America, not mm. of, Anglican <laughs> Church in North America, and um, an Anglican priest there. I've worked in ministry in a lot of different ways. I mean, I've done all kinds of jobs, mm. including many, many jobs um, that were, you know, I worked at an organic food store and right. doctor's office, but <laughs> I've also been um, a, a campus pastor mm. um, at Vanderbilt and UT Austin. And then 
have worked with folks who struggle with addiction and rehabs mm. and uh, worked among the homeless population um, for a while. And then um, also have worked on staff at a church. And, and then most recently, I've been a writer in residence at Church of the Ascension in Pittsburgh. And we're moving um, back home. I'm from Texas. So we're moving on Thursday, um, where I will be a writer in residence at Resurrection South Austin. Wow, that's in awesome. Austin, Texas. And I'm a writer. Um, I have a column for Christianity Today that mm. comes out monthly. And um, but then I just write for all sorts of stuff. I've written for the New York Times, Religion News Service, the Point Magazine, Comment Magazine. So I just kind of write a lot. And then yeah. um, and then I ha- I'm a mom. I have three children um, and a husband. So I have a ten year old, an eight year old, and a one year old. That's a so, that's a broad spectrum. <laughs> that's my life. Yeah. And I'm, um, this what's happening this week that's big is like I said, we're moving. So like as I speak to you, there I'm surrounded by boxes. Oh dear. Yeah, I don't I don't uh, miss moving. We moved a couple times and the last time we moved, I said to my wife, you can bury me in the backyard of this place because I'm not moving again. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand that i hate moving yes so you do a lot of writing have you like always seen yourself as a writer is that something that you just um like how did you fall into that yeah that's a really good question no i didn't i um, am i mean i always really loved writing um but well when i was a little kid you know writing was like just like fiction i i I didn't really know that people wrote about things that weren't stories right right um (laughs) So I, I mean, I thought writing was cool, but um, mm. I was never like, I want to be a writer someday. And even honestly, like in my family growing up, my parents are, I grew up in Texas. Like I said, my parents mm. are very kind of pragmatic Southerners, like saying, I want to be a writer would be like, I want to play professional baseball. It's like, okay, right. well, good for you. <laughs> it's a long shot. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, but I really, I mean, that wasn't, I wanted to be in ministry. Mm. I, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, for, not always. Before then, I wanted to be, I wanted to be an anchor woman on the news when I was little. Uh, and then I wanted to be a psychologist when I was like in the fourth grade. But um, I ended up probably pretty young. I mean, 14, 15, being interested in ministry and be working at a church, which didn't work because I was a, girl at a Southern Baptist church. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know what that would look like. Like I had no sense of, I had no model for that, but Mm. I felt like called by God um, to do that. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, certainly never thought that I would be an Anglican priest. I, mm. I would have been horrified um, <laughs> by the idea, I think. Um, so I loved writing in seminary. When I went through seminary, I wrote a lot and got mm. really positive feedback from professors on my writing specifically, mm. um, but still didn't really think that would be much a part of my life. It, it, besides, you know, something I just enjoy. Um, sure. And, and didn't know how it would be unless I became an academic, right? Unless I got a PhD and wrote academically because 
you know, at this point, like blogs were a new thing. And yeah, yeah it, I just never thought I, my, the point is I really was, have always and remain focused on the church and mm. serving the church and writing was like, not really part of my understanding of my own vocation sure. really till the last few years it's kind of it, it sort of writing found me way way more than I went out and found it I mm. ended up writing for a friend's blog basically because she kind of like badgered me about it in, in like the most <laughs> loving way I mean right. she's, she's like a mentor of mine and she's <laughs> older and wiser than me but was saying you're good at this you have a voice you need to write for me and I was busy and I had young like babies at the time and I was just like I can't I was in campus ministry and I was like Mm. I don't have time for this but she kind of kept asking me and then I I wrote something and called courage in the ordinary it was an essay so it was like 2013 maybe maybe even before and uh it it went really viral and um Andy Crouch, um, I think he might have kind of have heard of me because we we have overlapping circles because I worked with InterVarsity and he did mm. too. But he invited me then to pitch to um, Christianity Today. And one of the things that I would say to new writers, um, younger writers, is uh, anytime someone asks you to pitch, do it right then. Like mm. always have an idea. Uh, when someone asks you, "Hey, do you do you want to write for this?" Have something right then before they forget who you are. Yeah. And um, so I did, and then and then I just started writing for Christianity Today, and I mean totally freelance, like just you know every few months, and then it just sort of grew and grew, and more folks asked me to write, and more mm. folks asked me to write, and I just kept writing and writing until really at this point, it's it's a lot of what I do. Um, I still preach, and I still um you know, work in the local church, but a a lot of my time goes to writing. Yeah. And that brings you to your latest book, uh, Prayer in the Night. And so I guess uh, maybe a a basic question to maybe jump into that is like, who, who is this book for? Like whose hands, what's, what was the goal? Like whose hands were you hoping this book would fall into? I'll give a two-part answer. Sure. In some sense, this book's for anyone. I mean, Hmm. this book is for anyone who has lived through nights, you know, Mm. who goes to sleep, who, who has ever had grief or loss or anxiety, um, who's ever kind of doubted or wondered about where God is in the midst of pain. Mm. Um, So in many ways, it's like broadly for all Christians. Like the only, I mean, there are people who won't like the book. Like if you're really committed to the prosperity gospel, like you're not going to like my book. Um, if you're really committed to the idea that like, if you do your part, God will make things work out well for you, Yeah. then that person would probably not like my book. It's not the book for you. (laughs) They should probably read it still, but, um, so that, so really at anyone, anyone who is interested in following Jesus and particularly, um, you know, interested in what it means to pray when you are struggling and are not Mm. sure how to trust God. Mm. But a kind of subgroup of that is I did have um, particular folks in mind. So I read this, I I quote in this um, survey from Barna Mm -hmm. um, about 
Gen Z and millennials are, um, okay, so of Gen folks in Gen Z and millennials who have left the faith, who are walking away from the Christian faith, mm. uh, um, or who are now identify as atheists or agnostics, that um, about a third of them um, did so because they, this was the language of the survey, they can't buy that a good God would allow suffering in the world. Yeah. And um, that's the, that's actually a higher percentage than we've seen in generations since they've done this. So in Gen Z and um, boomers. So mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's an increasing question. Like this is a question that more, um, that younger folks are wrestling with, even though it's somewhat ironic, right? Because we, in, in ways, our life is easier, right? We have, we have vaccines. We haven't lived through um, like a, a massive war, like World War II. Hmm. Um, we, there's, you know, infant mortality is down. Like there's, so it's in ways our life, we, we, we encounter suffering less, but it feels we sort of encounter suffering differently or different yeah. types suffering but Mm. but whatever the case it feels like this is a bigger question or a a bigger struggle so I wrote this with people in mind with anyone in mind whether you know you're on top of the world or struggling but just because I think grief is inevitably going to be part of our Mm. lives yeah but I I had a particular interest in someone who I don't know maybe it, I, I was going to say someone in their like 20s and 30s, but maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it could be even folks older than that, but that are, are wrestling with what it means to trust God yeah. and are maybe wanting to continue to walk in faith, but aren't sure um, how to do that in a way that's really, really honest about the yeah. brokenness and the darkness in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that are struggling with like, how do I continue in this way of Jesus when I don't feel full of faith, when I don't feel like ardent belief, when I feel a lot of grief and a lot of struggle and a lot of, um, you know, uncertainty about where God's presence is in my life. Like that, that was sort of the place to some extent, like that, that was where I was struggling with those kinds of questions in this book and so I have like just a compassion and I don't know I just I just wish I could kind of like take all of those folks out to coffee yeah I can't right (laughs) I can't take them all out for coffee so I wrote this book instead (laughs) yeah and and the book as you kind of you mentioned really comes from a a personal place right like you dedicate a, a good portion of the book to this but Maybe you could take our listeners, uh, maybe like a little bit behind the scenes of the book, like what was going on in your life as the early fragments of this kind of came together. And I asked that because sometimes people can write about things, you know, this because you're a writer, but you can write about things that you've never had real experience with, but because you're a good writer, you can make it sound really good, but you really do understand the pain of praying in the night or praying in the dark times of, of life. Yeah. I mean, so the book starts in um, 2017, which was just a hard year for me. Mm. And um, we moved from Austin to Pittsburgh in January. 
And the week after we got here, my dad back in Austin uh, passed away unexpectedly. I mean, suddenly at least he, he had been sick for a while, but, uh, but we didn't know he was going to go so quickly. And he, he passed away really suddenly. Um, like I had talked to him earlier that day and I uh, had no idea that that would be the last time we would talk. So um, uh, then I flew home for his funeral and spoke at his funeral. And then the next day found out I was pregnant, which was this joyful, crazy thing because I was mourning my dad. <laughs> we had wanted to be, have a third child for a long time. So it was this it was an overwhelming mix of emotions. And, um, but three weeks later, I miscarried rather dramatically. I mean, I start the book here in this kind of like, it, it was like medically complex and difficult miscarriage. And then, um, then got pregnant again, surprise, like, like as a surprise and um, had a long, hard pregnancy and in the second trimester we lost uh our son uh, um in another miscarriage so it was about six months that were just really hard uh I don't get into it in the book but there was some there was some really rough stuff in my um professional life and my writing life as well and our marriage like that was tough so it was just like a exhausting six months and um really beyond that it was pretty much all of 2017 was was long and hard and dark year um and so I at the end of that kind of after all of that I I say in the book like I was the priest that could not pray it Mm. it felt like prayer became really difficult um it felt like slowing down itself and the silence of that was intimidating Mm. um I would start to feel hard, bad feelings that I didn't want to feel. (laughs) And, uh, but also it just felt like there were so many questions that I knew wouldn't be answered. And Mm. I, and I couldn't put into words the depth of the pain and questions and doubts and longing. I did, my words kind of failed. So of course, Mm. like I, I'm an Anglican priest. I could pray, like I could say words to God, but it felt like it wasn't capturing. Um, it was like I couldn't remember what was real or what was yeah. true, and 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 I didn't know how to um, tell God where where I was at, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and so it felt like words kind of ran dry or bounced off the ceiling. Yeah, as right. I don't love that analogy because I don't think God's like above our ceiling. Oh, sure, but, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but it felt like that, you know, it felt yeah. deflated, I guess is the right word. And I was weary, just physically weary, spiritually weary, emotionally weary, socially weary. I was just weary. Um, and so, yeah. And, and I say, I've said this several times, but there's lots of books that are about like kind of really horrific tragedy. There's that. And I, I put some in the footnotes because they're great. They're important books. Um, Like my friend, Cameron, Cameron Cole wrote a book called Therefore I Have Hope 
about when he his three-year-old son died mm. um tragically and or jerry sitzer who um his wife and daughter and mother all died together in a car accident um so that's like unbelievable kind of deep tragedy and suffering and that's that's not my book i mean my my book isn't really about horrific suffering it it obviously it's about suffering but on a, a lot of people one in four pregnancies and then miscarriage so yeah. a lot of folks go through this almost everyone will go through losing a parent many of us have gone through the loneliness of moving and relocating across the country um mm-hmm. so this is one of the things i say in the book is that it's easy to think of grief as being kind of the personal property of this of a specific type of people who've deeply suffered who have or who have, you know are enduring terminal illness or deep abuse mm. and obviously that's very real suffering yeah. um but it i also want those of us who have kind of ordinary suffering ordinary average lives to um be aware of how grief still impacts us and shapes yeah. us even shapes our ordinary day that everyone who walks through life really from the most privileged of us to the least will experience um very real suffering and yeah. very real loss hmm. broken relationships i mean all of us will die all of us will have people that we love who die hmm. but even before we get there all of us will experience um a lot of pain yeah. and um and and i'm saying in the book like that is also worth grieving mm. um we shouldn't compare our grief to others and minimize our own grief um yeah. because other people have you know are also grieving or even have kind of more substantial suffering so i don't i certainly don't want to paint myself as someone who's like you know suffered untold tragedy i mm. think my suffering is pretty average but i think um what i want to say is even for the average person mm. uh getting through life is is full of suffering it's yeah. full of pain well first of all thank you uh for sharing those pieces of your story uh with us these especially these big big losses i mean i can't imagine that six month period what that must have um been like but your story really uh, speaks to me because as you said, um, my wife and I, we had a, a miscarriage before our daughter was born. And as I was reading your story, I was just kind of thinking of, of my own uh, really throughout the whole, the whole book. And for me, that, that event really opened up like so many questions and really set me into this season of um, deconstruction, reconstruction, where I really was forced to grapple with some theologies and ideas about God that I had really taken for granted and assumed to be understood in only one way. I mean, I went to Bible college, seminary, pastor churches, and I had all these, you know, answers that I would give people in times of tragedy. And, you know, like the topic of theodicy or the problem of evil, which you, you talked about and you bring up in your book, like, like, why, you know, like, like, why did, why do these things happen? I remember after the doctor came out and told us that we had lost the baby and my, my wife was uh, weeping 
in my arms in the hallway and uh, I told her to sit down and I went out and I got the car, you know, to pull it up to the, the door. And when I went out to get the car, I was literally yelling at God. Like I got in the car and I was screaming at God. And all of a sudden those pat answers of, well, God is sovereign and, you know, God needed an angel in heaven. And one day you'll see your baby again, like these simple things that, you know, often would be told to people to put like a bandaid on the feelings. Like none of those answers made any sense to me. And none of those answers satisfied me anymore. And I remember I told God, like, if you have the power to stop from happening, what just happened to me and my wife, but you chose not to, like, I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And I need some, I need some deep answers. And like, to be honest, you know, that was five, six years ago. And I'm still wrestling with this question. And although I feel like I have a lot more answers regarding the topic than I did maybe six years ago, none of them have yet to really satisfy those, those questions. And so all of that to say, kind of, as you were sharing your story, I was thinking of mine, I'm wondering like for, for our listeners, could you maybe talk about that understanding of the problem of, of evil? And you talk about this a little bit in your book, but maybe how has that understanding progressed maybe from where, how you understood it when you were younger to having gone through different seasons or different events in your own life that have brought about this grief, like, how do you understand it now? Like, what does that progression look like for you? That's a big question, but I don't know if you yeah, can. <laughs> it's a huge question. Yeah. And it's it's so much the question of my book that I will, I'm not trying to get people just to buy my book, I promise, but I, I will give a partial answer here. But yeah, don't, don't have always, to give away all the, no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't mind spoiling. It's just sort of like, man, it took me, you know, like 50,000 words to kind of, um, be able to say this. So I don't think I'll be able to sum it up. Sure. And if I did, it would be a pat answer, right? Mm-hmm, it'd be, right. Um, it would be this sort of, I mean, there's just, you're right. Like the, some of the most trite things that are uttered are in after tragedy, right? In, yeah. the, line, in the lines of funeral um, parlors, like, fu- you know, funeral greeting lines um, or greeting cards. Oh my gosh. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, to the point where it's, it's cruel, right? Um, mm. But I mean, one of the things I'd say here um, is I don't, I guess I've to some extent given up on the idea of there being a completely satisfactory answer to the problem of evil or theodicy. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is I actually think there's some very good, very important, like, I think I've, I, I have an intellectually satisfying answer and Mm -hmm. I have for a while and I'm happy to share more about that. And I Mm -hmm. could give you an, an, my sort of like philosophical theological take on this. Mm -hmm. So, so I think even before 2017, I had a sort of an intellectually satisfying answer. Um, And there's like, loads and loads of, of philosophy and books written on this. Um, and I mean, so there's lots I could say, and I, and I think that's important. I think those, like, I, I think an intellectually satisfying answer is, is certainly, <laughs> we need more than that, but we don't need less than that. So I'm, I, we can talk more about that. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm, my, all, I'm all ears. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think there's there's things to say about um, that evil is in and of itself is not something God sort of made, but is mm. a it's an absence. It's a it is the lack of God. It is so in like I say this in the book. 
like in some, to some extent there can't be an answer a reason mm-hmm. for suffering and evil because then it would be necessary for for the ordered creation right it would yeah. be um it would be like the sh- the necessary shadow side of good evil or suffering is itself anti-creation it's um it doesn't it's not, it's anti-reason. It, it, there's not a reason for it because if there was a reason for it, it would fit in the order of the universe. Mm. But it's actually just all that is opposed to goodness and truth and light and God, yeah. right? And so it's, um, there can't be like a neat explanation because then we would somehow need it in the universe. But I think the ultimate answer is that this is, it's, anti-creation it's anti-reason and it will be judged by jesus it's that it's the power of death in the world so it's absurd like it is it's uh, illogical it doesn't fit in the order of things because it's not the way things are meant to be but and other things too i mean i think that like a, a materialist understanding of the world for instance would say you know there is there's no problem of evil because mm-hmm. I mean, there's evil, there's dark, there's like suffering, but there's no problem because right. it's, it's introducing it, the notion that there's a good God, it creates mm-hmm. this problem. But in that view, there's also, first of all, no transcendent meaning of, of goodness. There's why I talk about in the book, the problem of goodness. Like there's no, if there's no meaning or reason for suffering there's also no transcendent meaning in things like love and beauty and goodness like it's it's just sort of like things i prefer as opposed to the things other people prefer um but it's also i think only thing in the world is is material then this deep sense that things are not the way they should be or that things this is like when i experience it's suffering i'm not just sad i feel like it's wrong right yeah. like um you yelling at god was because this feels wrong mm-hmm. like this isn't um it's not just that you're sad it's that it feels like unjust um the christian story would say yes like that's true <laughs> like the reason <laughs> you feel it's wrong is because it is wrong yeah um in a way that if if we don't have if it's just the material world well things just are as they are there's there's no rhyme or reason to say this is not the way things are supposed to be i mean Mm -hmm. things are just things are supposed to be exactly as they are um because this is this is reality this is what Mm -hmm. is and violence is part of that right like i mean even in we see this in nature right nature red and tooth and claw so to say things are not meant to be this way um, is, is kind of a, that's a statement detached from reality, mm-hmm. unless we believe that actually we were created for a world where there wasn't suffering or a world where there wasn't death. But then you have the problem of evil. So like moving on from that, I, I think if people are listening and then they're like, none of these are really satisfactory answers. <laughs> it could be that they need to read more philosophy. It could mm-hmm. be, I mean, I'm an inad, I'm not a theologian. I'm inadequate to do this. So like, don't take my word for it. Like read people <laughs> smarter and better right. than me. But 
I, I, here's what I've come to. Here's the bigger thing is that I think I've given up to some extent on there being like an, um, certainly an emotionally satisfying answer to the problem of pain or theodicy, because I think that we don't want an answer. We don't want something to sort of make, there's no, there's like nothing that can make sense or there's nothing that I could tell you that would ever make you losing a child, your, you know, that miscarriage, like, okay, or acceptable. What we want is things to be made right. Mm. Like we want action on the part of God. We want, um, we want things to be mended and made whole. And we want to know that in the midst of like all of this, that God sees us and that God loves us. Um, and so it's, what I'm saying is that it's this longing, like it's this, I talk in the book is it's like a almost primordial, like scream for things to be set right. It's a longing for wholeness. And it's a, it's a longing of like, God, where are you in the middle of this? Like, I think the anger you express actually in some ways um, shows an intimacy with God, right? That you were, it's lament. It's like, where are you? What, how are your promises true in the middle of this? Like, and that's a, like, we see this in scripture all the time in the Psalms, right? Mm. Um, and just how long, oh Lord, like, where are you in the middle of this? And so I think, um, I don't think that we're going to have something that really kind of satisfies us emotionally because we, I just think that we will not be emotionally satisfied with the problem of pain until like Jesus himself sets things right. And the, the whole story of the Christian life. I mean, like creation, fall, redemption, consummation, like the big, big, big arc of um, what we would call redemptive history, like God's work in the world. It has, is all a response in some ways to the problem of pain. It's all a response to things being messed up in the world. So I don't think that we are going to be, I think that this is a chord that's just unresolved. Like, mm-hmm. and Christians knew this. It's not like we're the first generation to be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's not like a s- systematic answer to this in scripture. Right. Christians have known this forever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and they, and I think it's just, they've let this chord go unresolved. And so we feel the tension of that. I don't know if you've ever listened to like, music where there's like an unresolved chord but the tension just sort of builds and builds and builds so i don't think there's going to be a satisfying answer until the chord is resolved like until resolution and i think god god self is the only one that can do that that can resolve that tension Hmm. and so um God is the only one that can resolve that tension. Um, so we're not there yet. I mean, the, Christians would say, this is the, we live in the already, not yet, right? right. Like we've, 
seen the the evidence that God will set things right is in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's in this historical moment of Jesus rising from the dead and defeating death. Yeah. But um, in the meantime, like we live in the tension of that. And yeah. so I talk in the book about it's we're enduring a mystery. Like, mm-hmm. so the problem of pain is a mystery. It's something that we're not fully satisfied with but we are enduring and i ask a a lot in the book like so how how do we endure a mystery or in the book i say so if we can't trust god to keep bad things from happening to us how do we trust god which is another way of saying kind of how do we endure this mystery and um so that the the whole book's about that the rest of the book is about that but I come down to sort of, we hold to this story through like these practices that are name really, really honestly, the vulnerability and brokenness of the world mm. and um, hold out the hope of a God who loves us and sees us in the middle of that. Yeah. But that's not a place of resolution. That's not a place of like, oh, it all makes sense or I'm okay with it. Or like, I think that's a place of, tension and struggle yeah i think you know you bring up a really good point and just that there's there's not necessarily an answer that's going to satisfy the the different pains that each one of us has has been through and i think for me like i i grew up in the evangelical world and it's a world where there's a lot of answers (laughs) to things and there's systematic theologies and um you know i spent years in seminaries studying the answers. And for a while, like the answers were good enough, but then, you know, as life happens and you allow yourself to ask questions, sometimes the answers don't always fit. And I think that one of the things I learned in this process over the last uh, five years or so is felt like God said to me, you know what? Like I didn't let your baby die. I didn't cause your baby to die, but life is just hard. And we live in a world that's hard, but in the midst of the hardness, you're not alone. No, I'm with you. And I I began to have these images of being in that hallway of the hospital with the doctor coming out, giving us the news and, you know, my wife in my arms weeping. And I had this image of God, whatever God looks like holding me as I held my wife also weeping. And just this image that you're not alone. And that doesn't, like you said, that doesn't give a mentally satisfying answer where it checks all the boxes of, oh, now it all makes sense. But there's a sense we're in the midst of that, just knowing that we're not alone in the midst of these horrible things that happen in the midst of a very hard world and difficult world that we live in. There's something satisfying about that on an emotional level. Yeah, totally. And and I think, um, I really believe in and here, here's what I'll say. I think through this process and through this writing, writing the book, um, it's not that I, I believe that there's sort of like no answers, mm-hmm. or, um, but it feels like there's, I don't know, you can tell me if this feels wrong, but it feels like the, the church is sort of bifurcated into there's sort of no answers. It, it's a reaction to, okay. So it's, I actually think it's more like, that everything is answered. We've got it all figured out. We got this nailed down in our systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Or 
then the a reaction to that, it's sort of like, we, there, you can't know anything, right? Like right. It's all, it, you know. <laughs> and it's funny, is it, I mean, I know people listening to this will be like, this tends to fall under right, left categories, but all of those are blown up now, especially with, I mean, 25% of conservative evangelicals now believe in QAnon, which mm. is certainly like nothing can be known. Like there's nothing that can be known. It's all a conspiracy, right? right? Like, yeah. so we're all post-truth, but mm. is what I'm saying, like everyone, but, um, but, or yeah many of us uh, it's all sort of like how we know what we know is a big question right now in general yeah, that yeah. said i think um i mean i love theology like mm. i i love doctrine i mean i love i i say in this book like when when everything else falls apart the stuff that we fall back on is the story we tell ourselves about who we are and who sure. god is yeah. which is all the other another way to say the story we tell ourselves about who we are, what humans are for, and what God, who God is, is those are all doctrinal things. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that draws me to Anglicanism is that it leaves a lot of so the the things that we kind of quote unquote like claim answers for yeah. are there. You know, the creeds, like they're real and they're true, but then it just leaves like, and I, I'll just come out and say, like, I, I believe scripture is true and I, there's just a lot of room for mystery and there's a lot of things we're not told and where there's yep. a lot of things we're not, like, that are, that are unresolved. And, yep. um, and so I appreciate the Anglicanism kind of by holding word and sacrament together mm. has this proclamation this pr we proclaim the gospel we use our words we use cognition every week and then when we're done we do the eucharist which is just like this like deeply mysterious practice like what yeah. exactly is happening there right. and the answer that anglicans give is like we're not exactly sure like <laughs> it's not really nailed down like yeah. in what way is christ present like what does it mean that, that like we don't necessarily believe in like transubstantiation in like a Catholic sense, but we're not just memorial. So it's like this deeply mysterious thing. So I'm saying there's like doctrine and cognition. We say the creed and then we participate in this thing that like no one really understands. Yeah. And so um, it's this holding together of of those things that we know and base our life on and mystery. Mm. Like honestly, the process of writing this book has made me more like all my eggs are in the basket of the resurrection. Like mm. if the resurrection didn't happen, let's go home. Like it's not yeah. true. Like it, there's a lot of really good ways to live your life that are not, you, you can be a very good person and not a Christian. So like, right. this isn't true. It's actually, if, if the resurrection isn't true, Christianity is, is oppressive. Mm. And so we need to just, we need to, get out I think and and so the things that I bet my life on have become kind of bigger and more important to me mm. but I I think I don't know if this is the background you're from and some of your listeners uh, may not even be familiar with this term but the the idea of the perspicuity perspicuity of scripture it's this idea that like um, scripture is clear and I believe in that 
But the way that that was understood historically is that scriptures, scripture is clear about the things necessary unto salvation. Like this, uh, the things that are kind of most important in scripture. It was never that everything in scripture is clear or that everything in the Christian life is clear. Um, and because it's not, like there's just a lot of ambiguity in the Christian life that, that is um, inescapable. It's just, it's part, it's part of what I talk about it in the book is like there as poetry, like yeah. God is continuing to work and to speak. You know, I mean, I don't mean like that he would say anything contradictory to scripture, but I am saying that like in our own lives, like the way that you, and this is what I'm saying, the way you understand what the tragedy you and your wife went through in, in miscarriage mm-hmm. is going to continue to change and be shaped by God as you walk with, with God. There are unanswered questions there that are going to continue to linger and might and are going to change and they might become more intense less intense you might have completely different questions in the future um i just don't think that these things are kind of like put in a tidy box for us Mm, and that's what it means to be in relationship with god is that um, we continue to kind of we continue to wrestle with god and we continue to wrestle through these things um, but I also don't think that means, you know, we can't know anything and you throw the, you throw doctrine out of the window and you make Christianity kind of what it's a wax nose. That you make <laughs> right. it, it does sometimes feel, I, I don't know, Twitter makes it feel like you have to pick, like you have to be like this triumphalistic, like we've got Christianity completely figured out. We have all the answers, um, or like it's this sort of like endless evolution where we can know nothing and it's like jello. Yeah. I just think either of those is, um, is overconfident in our own like epistemology, like ability. I'm saying even the, even the, so the, obviously the one that's triumphalistic is, but even the, like the sort of jello one is this kind of like, I, I'm always kind of evolving and making this what sort of, it's a deep assurance that what the church has held for thousands of years is um, suspect. Mm. And my own kind of like internal journey is what's real and true. Mm. And that just seems overconfident in your own spiritual experience. Like, mm. I guess I, I'm by nature a little bit of a doubter, but I've continued to be a Christian because I like doubt my doubts. Like I doubt itself is a spiritual, is is a, is a subjective experience that I'm not going to like base a ton of my life on if that sure. makes sense. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think there's, there's a lot of value, I think in what you said in that, you know, there's use the word ambiguity a couple of times and, you know, obviously the word mystery and, and there's, it's, it's good to be grounded in different things, but it's also okay to have questions and it's also okay to say that you don't, you know, you don't know. <laughs> and I think that yeah. that's kind of where I've come to with this whole problem of evil is that, you know, I feel like I have some answers and there's just a lot of things where I'm willing to say, I don't know, you know, but yeah. I know, I know that I'm not alone in the midst of it. Like that's one 
truth. I mean, Jesus said, you know, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And like, that's the one thing I've got to wrap my fingers around and white knuckle. Um, because even though I don't have all the answers to things like the problem of evil or whatever other big question there might be, I know that I'm not alone in the midst of it. That's right. That's yeah. right. And yeah. I think there, it, there just is kind of a in, part of acknowledging mystery in the universe is that yeah. there's an end to human knowledge. Like there's just places that there's things we can't know. Yeah. Um, not because, I don't know, we haven't like cracked the code yet, but because they're sure. like <laughs> too, they're too much for yeah. us. Right? That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and that is frustrating and that is hard. And I think we need to like, let that be frustrating and hard and not try to like deny the frustration and difficulty of that. Yeah. But it's also the very thing that opens us up to like wonder, mm. <laughs> and, like transcendence and that there's yeah. like more beauty than we can know. Like there's more life than we, um, I mean, it's that Wilco, I'm quoting Wilco here, but that, you know, Wilco has a song where it says, you know, the best life never leaves your lungs. Like mm. that there is more to life than, um, than we can like nail down. There's a yeah. remainder um, yeah. and that's holy and beautiful. And that's like all the good stuff, right? Like yeah. the best moments of our life, there's, there's a remainder that we can't, um just explain away like we, yeah. we can't explain it right. it comes in the most beautiful intimate moments of our life that there's more goodness and more wonder there than we can explain yeah. and it also comes in dark moments of despair that's that right there's just more there's a mystery in the darkness <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And in the light and in the light it's true that's true yeah. Well, Tish, we are just about um, out of time. This time has gone very fast, but uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy your busy life with all of your boxes you have around you uh, to take some time yeah, to talk to me. I appreciate it. Things. I feel like I wasn't wildly articulate, but I think these are really, really difficult topics. That's why I wrote a book on it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, I, I, I love the fact that as you were talking, it was just like you were trying to construct uh, some of your your ideas really on the spot. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, even somebody who has written multiple books and doing the things that you're doing, like you're, you're still embracing the mystery of it all. And I think that's beautiful. Thanks. So thank you. And real quick, uh, where can people go uh, to find you online specific like website and that kind of stuff to connect with you? So like, as of today, there's a lot more ways. I was <laughs> just on Twitter, but I added, I got on Instagram today. This is my first day. Oh, okay. Um, Exciting. So, I'm going to go, fo- I'm going to go follow you as you're talking. Right now. <laughs> okay. <Live. laughs> um, so I'm on Twitter, Tish underscore H uh, underscore Warren. Um, and I'm on Instagram and I'm brand new there. Literally had one post. So I don't even know how to tell you to find me on it. I just found you. You're uh, at Tish Harris, Harrison Warren. Yes. Found cool. you. Um, and, and but I also have a website, tishcharisonwarren.com. Very cool. I will put all the links uh, in the show notes, and maybe we could do this again sometime when you get uh, more settled in Texas. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. I wish. I wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. 
Wish you on a pot and so go with the rainbow. Kind of time Clancy. Wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sand, most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own picture, we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much with high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love, we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did this beat neat? Ever wanna follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Hey. Carolina Rose on freeze. Hey. Wishing I could fly to the keys. Hey. That will be more free. Hey. Something hit my mind, hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Uh. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just.